and in truth, and I'm your host, Sean McCraney. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, we uh, approach you and we love you and are grateful that you loved us so much. You gave us your only human son to give his life, shed his blood, and redeem us uh, from the state that we're in. And we just pray that we will become more cognizant and aware of this wonderful gift as we move through tonight's show. And that you'll bless the people who are participating and keeping it going here at, uh, in the cage. And then people who are watching in the audience, people at home, people who turn in the archives. We want to know you. We want to know the truth. And we just pray you'll help us do that. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, a couple things. When we started off talking about Mormonism, I uh, was by fault, by default, created some words. One was Mormonicious. Uh, another one was, um, I stole this from somebody, Joseph's myth. Uh, and then also Twistianity was a creation. Twistianity, right? So we've also, you know, since we've stopped focusing on Mormons, we've also come up with Christianarchy and we've come up with Pastored. Actually, we kind of fooled around with an entire movie in a play called The Pastored, uh, which was fun. And it's still out there. We never know what will happen with that. But tonight I want to introduce a new word to you. To the, uh, to the lexicon of the show, and that's insurrection. Insurrection. An insurrection is an uprising, and of course the resurrection is an uprising of sorts too. We're talking about an uprising about the uprising. We're talking about trying to flip the tables over on what people say and kind of lazily say about this idea of resurrection. If you, um, it's a really important, it's a vital, actually, it's a vital topic in the faith. And, it, but it's so overlooked, so misunderstood, and it is, it drives me crazy, uh, the rhetoric that people will use to explain the resurrection. Mormonism and Catholicism, first of all, they maintain bodies, everybody, is going to come up out of their grave, wherever it was. You're in the ocean, it's the year 5 BC, and you get thrown over and a pack of sharks devour you, they eat you, they digest you, they defecate you out, you go into the bottom of the ocean, you're moved all over the world, parts of you come up in different places, you are going to come up out of this place of death, burial, somehow, with the body that you died with. That is Mormonism. That is Roman Catholicism. And orthodoxy seems to promote the same thing. Calvary chapels, pretty much ditto. The body that you died with is going to come up out of the grave. Where do they get that idea? Because that's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus did. And because that's what Jesus did, that's what we're all going to do. And it's time for some insurrection. Or, I am an insurrectionist. Uh, it's very insurrectionable, as it were. So, um, this has led to all sorts of ridiculous stuff, like ideas that no one should be cremated. Did you know that these, these major powers of religion, they still, Catholics, Mormons, Orthodoxy for sure, you should, it's, it's wrong to be cremated. They forget we all turn to dust anyway, but no, it's wrong to expedite that process. Why? I don't know. 
So the generally accepted view is what does it or what will it look like in the resurrection? And the reply is so irritating to me. The reply is, why, just look at Jesus. What did Jesus do? How was he resurrected? Well, that's what will happen to us too. That's exactly what it is. So we're going to open up the chapter on resurrection. And I promise you, if you hang out with us tonight and next week and perhaps the third week, we might go three, you will hear the teachings on the resurrection from the Apostle Paul. You're going to learn how we don't come out of the grave like Jesus did. We will not. And you'll understand why. So hang with us and test all things, and let's see if we can figure this out. So after building a case for there being a resurrection in the first place, which is what Paul does in 1 Corinthians 15, at verse 35, after having explained that Jesus was resurrected, 500 people saw him, the apostles saw him, this and that and this and that, he enters into one of the best descriptions ever of what the resurrection will look like. Now, I emphasize will because for a couple reasons. Paul was an apostle called to the Gentiles of that day. And those who converted to the faith were going to be saved at the approaching day and at that approaching day where they would be saved, they would be resurrected. This was the promise. When Jesus comes back to save his church, the resurrection will begin. It hadn't happened yet. And so Paul is telling them what it will look like for them and for us. Now, listen, prior to Paul and his ministry, Jesus had been resurrected. And his resurrection and those who rose with him at that time, there were some in Jerusalem who rose with him at that time, experienced a physical resurrection. No question, that's what it was. But remember, Jesus appeared to the frightened 11 apostles in the upper room after his resurrection. And he said in Luke 24, 39, Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit has not flesh and bones as you see me have. Now, this appearance of Jesus causes and has caused so many Christians to say that the resurrection for us is going to be just like that. Look at Jesus. He said, touch me, see, I am not a spirit. I am who I am, right? And that we are going to come out, out of our graves like Jesus did, and we're going to have the bodies that we died with, same way, and if we were able to walk around this earth, we could say to people, touch, see, this is me, feel, right? So I am suggesting so strongly that what Paul teaches here shows that this is not the case for other people. Uh, it was the case for our Lord and for some people of the house of Israel at that time. 
Why was there a literal from the grave resurrection of Jesus and a few others? And then why would it change? I can't answer the second question, why it would change, but it does. And you're, it's gonna prove, I'm going to prove it to you tonight in a great part. But we know from Paul's very words written right here that it is different, very different from what we see happen to Jesus. And as to the question of why would Jesus and the others be resurrected with the body that they had when they died, and we don't know about the others if they, they had the same thing. We're just assuming that. But we know Jesus did. And I suggest that that's the only way people were going to know it was him. That had Jesus come out of the grave with his heavenly body that he would have forever, people would have just assumed that he is a ghost. Not that he rose from the grave. So he had to rise from the grave with the body, with the prince, with the nails. And he had to say, touch, see, this is my body. But remember, he says, a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones as you see me have. But we have scriptures that say flesh and bone cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Flesh and bone cannot go to heaven. So what Jesus had with him when he was walking around was not his resurrected body that he would have in heaven. It was a body he was using so they could see he overcame the death they witnessed him experience. Okay, I suggest that this would be the only way Jesus would prove that he was truly resurrected for his body to be walking around. And um, had Jesus, Jesus risen with the glorified body that Paul is about to describe that we all get, then I don't think they could have truly witnessed to him overcoming the grave. There would have been some kind of uh, mix-up. In other words, when he returned to earth to take his bride, like I believe he did, at his second coming, as he said he would, he came with the heavenly body. He didn't come with that body that he died with and that he showed his apostles. He came in his glorious form. And when he did that, that is when people saw who he really was, okay? And we'll talk about that. Listen closely to this passage. This was John the Beloved who wrote this in his epistles. And he wrote this, remember he was a witness to Jesus when he came out and he said, touch me, right? He was a witness to that, what he looked like, right? Listen to what he writes in his epistle way many years later. Beloved. Now are we the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be. Okay? But we know that when he shall appear, Jesus, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Now John saw Jesus in his quote-unquote body from the grave, but he's telling the believers here in the epistles, let me tell you something. We're the sons of God, but we don't know what we're going to look like. We have no idea. And we won't know what we're going to look like until he will appear. And when he appears, we will see him how he is. And we will know we'll be like that. Do you see how there's a difference going on between what Jesus showed himself in Jerusalem after he overcame the grave and what he was going to come back with? his heavenly resurrected body, which would be the true form that we would inherit too. 
So this is just too much for Christians. I don't know why, but for some reason they want to believe that we're going to get this back and it's going to look and be in the same exact form when we come out of our graves, no matter how long we have been in them. Christians want to believe that, okay? The idea that our resurrection is just like his continues then to perpetuate. That's fine. I think Christians are going to be more than pleasantly surprised when they get their resurrected body that God had a better idea. And, but the reason I stick to the idea that our resurrections will not be like Jesus is because of what Paul says and what he describes the resurrection of all of us to be like and what we will experience. Now, know this from the onset, we will all receive a body. That is not in question, okay? Um, so I am not suggesting we're going to be spirits that are just out there. We will receive a body, but what I am maintaining is the body we will receive is heavenly. It's very different from the body that we're in. It's not material in the least, and therefore it is not, or will not be the bodies that we possess here in a reformatted, reconstructed, repurposed fashion, all right? So, because I maintain this, that our resurrection is going to be very different, let's see why. And I'm going to read these passages with you. Now, just relax and listen to what Paul says. If you want to follow 1 Corinthians 15, begin at verse 35. Listen to what he says. He has said there's a resurrection, and now he says this. How are the dead, some will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Thou fool! That which thou sowest is not made alive unless it dies. And that which thou sowest, thou sowest not the body that shall be, but bare grain, it may chance of wheat or some other grain. But God giveth it a body as it has pleased him, and to every seed his own body. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, another of fishes, another of birds. There are also celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial. But the, bot, but the glory of the celestial is one and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There's one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars. For one star differs from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection. It is sown in corruption, that means planted. It is raised in incorruption, it is sown in dishonor. It's raised in glory, it's sown in weakness, it's raised in power, it's sown a natural body, it's raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. So let's stop there and go back with me to verse 35. Paul has been explaining to a group of people at Corinth that have been influenced that there's no resurrection by others. And so he kind of steps into the arena with these arguers about whether there's a resurrection or not. And he says, but some men will say, how are the dead raised up? 
and with what body do they come, right? And, and, and they're kind of, in my estimation, I could be wrong, but these are Greeks who thought the idea of a resurrection was so stupid, and Fa Sadducees who absolutely rejected the idea of spirits and a resurrection and an afterlife. And so Paul is addressing these people, and to these, these naysayers, these naysayers, it was such foolishness for these Christians to be walking around preaching that everybody was going to get their body and rise up out of the grave. Okay? They have, remember back in that, those days, death was different. They saw a lot of it. They saw what happens to bodies. So to the Greeks, they're like, we see people get hacked to bits and eaten by wild beasts. We, you know, uh, we see cracked open sepulchers and corroded bodies and heaps of dust. We've been at war at sea. We've seen all this. And you're telling us that these bodies are all going to come back out and they are going to be what, they, what you get? And so Paul appears to kind of step right in here and he like answers their questions that they are asking kind of like this. Well, how are the dead raised up? <laughs> and with what body do they come? <laughs> That's what I think is happening. That's why Paul responds with, you fools. Those are the first words out of his mouth to these guys who says, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? He's Paul is right there mocking indirectly. He is calling them, he's not calling them fools in the moronic sense. He's calling them fools in you are so misinformed by the idea that you think they're going to be raised up out of these broken sepulchers and out of the sea and, and Socrates' body, which is molded in the grave for four, 500 years, is going to come back. You're so stupid to even approach it this way, you fools, when you ask uh, how are the dead raised up and with what body do they come? He is confronting them and their stupidity of what they were thinking the resurrection was. Perhaps the believers then were saying, Jesus came out of the grave. We're going to too. And they put two and two together like Christians do today. And they just assumed that's what's going to happen with us. So, um, of course, I'm making this all up with what could have been um, but I'm convinced that the real question is, in essence, from them, we know what happens with dead things. And we see it and we have seen it. And uh, we've watched bodies return to the native dust. We've seen what happens to when lions eat human beings. And we know the, our brothers who have drowned in the sea. And it's to these objections and criticisms and then their questions where do the bodies, how do they rise up, and with what body do they come? Paul says, okay, I'm going to step in here and attack you. Now, what Christians say today to those questions about the dust being scattered and people being eaten and drowned at sea, you know what they say? Well, God can do anything. Do you notice Paul doesn't say that here? His response to the Greeks who are mocking him about a resurrection, he doesn't say, well, God can do anything. God is just going to gather up every bit of their atoms everywhere they are. And he's going to put them back into grandpa. And grandpa's going to rise up out of that grave. He's going to show us he's grandpa again. He's going to have his beard still. 
He might have to use a cane. No, he won't. Not in the resurrection. That is not what Paul says. Paul says, I'm going to clear this up for you idiots so you understand what it is we're talking about. Stop looking at Jesus' resurrection for your information about this. I'm sure the Greeks were like, well, you know, okay, it's one thing, you Christians, that your Lord and Savior was buried for three whole days and rose back up. Big deal. What are you going to do with Socrates? What are you going to do with Plato? What about these people who have been in the grave for three or 4,000 years? You're saying they're going to come up the same way? And they mocked it. So Paul clearly lays out what the resurrection is. And for some reason, we still don't get it. I don't know why. It's as clear as day here. So he says, someone will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? And he says, you fools. Paul right here, and in the next 14 verses, we're going to get a direct teaching on what their resurrection, who were listening to him, would be, and what ours will be. It's a clear teaching. He says, but fools translated means, you misinformed questioners. And then he adds the first principle of the resurrection for you to consider. You ready? That which thou sowest is not quickened unless it dies. Or what you sow or plant does not come to life unless it first dies. That's the first principle to understand. This was an agrarian culture, and uh, they generally speaking, and so Paul immediately goes to agriculture, in my opinion, and he likens the way and process by which a plant grows to the resurrection of human beings. And his point seems to be, you take a seed, you plant it in the ground, and it has to die. It will burst open. It's like a, like a human body when it's dead. If it's been at sea or something, could burst open from heat. That seed will burst open dead. Once it does, now we have a new body that will come forth. So, of course, the parallel is the seed you plant in the ground will not produce a new life or new body unless it dies first. Principle number one, that physical thing's got to go. That's the first principle he says. Just like a seed has to go in order to feed the germ for the plant, okay? Until this body or a seed is sown, buried, and dies, there's no possibility of a new life or a new plant. Automatically, folks, automatically look at the analogy relative to the resurrection. What does a farmer sow in the ground? A farmer sows a seed. You got that? And they're round and they're oblong and they're dry and they're short or they're fat. I don't know. There's a billion kinds of seeds. And the point is the seed planted and dies has zero resemblance to the plant that comes afterward. Zero. Do you notice that? Paul's going to make that point. Now, we have Jesus' body go into the tomb, and it has total resemblance to what was planted in that tomb. Why? Because his was purposeful for what he was doing. Ours is not. We're not going to be resurrected and walking around on this material earth like so many materialist religionists think. Our resurrected body is for a different place. 
Therefore, it is going to be completely different than the seed that's planted. Do you see this? Because this is the comparison Paul makes right off the bat. Right off the bat. When Jesus walked the earth, he said the same thing. But he said, you know, the hour has come the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, unless a seed of wheat fall to the ground and die, it abides alone. I cannot do anything to bring more around. I can't do anything until I die. But if it dies, it it brings forth much fruit. Same point. Paul applies it to us now here. So thus far we know that the first or main body of a grain or a person has to be buried, decay, die, become the food and nourishment for the germ, which produces an entirely different plant, an entirely different looking plant. Uh, Again, so you don't miss it. Corn kernel, like this. Corn stalk, roots, stalk, blade, corn ears, corn straw, stuff you have to pull off to eat before you eat it. The entire thing is completely different from that uh, kernel. If you don't see this already, you're going to see it as he continues on. Okay, so we have established the idea. And then he says, and that which thou sowest, that which you plant, thou sowest not the body that will be. Did you hear that line? That which you plant or bury, thou bury not the body that will be. But bear grain, it may chance of wheat or some other grain. Paul says what goes into the ground is not the body that will come up. Not at all. Any more than the, than the body of a corn stalk with all of its parts uh, is exactly like what was planted. Isn't it interesting when you think about it that when farmers plant corn, they plant something that's entirely different than the end product? They don't take full corn stalks and lay them in the ground in order to get that. And that's what Paul's point is, okay? Traditional Christian thought says the human body that we're in, in in this case the kernel, is planted at death and it will rise in the same form. That's the biggest, dumbest thing Christians say regarding the resurrection. And yet they say it all the time. An entire Catholicism, Orthodoxy, and Mormonism teaches this. Did they not read what Paul said? So he clearly maintains that there will be differences between the human body and the resurrected body as different as a corn kernel and a corn stalk, roots, blade, corn, etc. In the least, in the least at this point, we have a difference in appearance between what went into the grave and what came out. And Jesus did not. Jesus had the same. That's why he said touch and feel. Now maybe his glow, because he had been resurrected, maybe that was different. But, but he still could be recognizable by certain elements. That is not, you cannot recognize a corn stalk. You cannot re- recognize the kernel from touching the stalk. You just can't, okay? So, but that which you plant is not the body that will be, but instead is a seed, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. So what will determine the kind of body 
that will come out of what is planted in the ground. Grandpa Joe died. We just buried him last week. What will determine what resurrected body he's going to get? Well, let's read the next verse. You ready? But God giveth it a body as it has pleased him and to every seed his own body. Did you know that? That God is the one who will bestow your resurrected body on you? He will decide this is what was planted and when it rises up to go and live in heaven, this is what it's going to get. That's what he says. But God giveth it a body. So if we could all take our, our living mortal bodies now and plant them in the grounds, those are the seeds, and then at the resurrection, God is going to give us a different body according to as he pleases, what he wants to give us. And herein we're met with another fact about the resurrection. God is the one who gives our body sown in the ground its formation, its stature, and its glory. That is, that's, that's the resurrection again there too. So let's step back to the analogy. A farmer plants 10 kernels of corn and he waters and he waits and he lets the sun shine on them and he waters and he waits and he waits for what? He waits for that kernel to die. He waits for it to germinate and to produce a corn stalk. It is God that gives that farmer the stalks he wants from the seed that is planted. It's not even hybrids. It's not even science. God will determine whether the seed will produce life. God will determine how tall it will be. And if science thinks it's determined that they don't understand that it's God. He's behind all life. If God wants a corn stalk to be diminutive and, and diseased, he will. If he wants it to be tall and powerful and mighty, he will. But the farmer is relying upon God to give him the, the crop he wants from those seeds planted. So the farmer can't change the status, neither can the seed itself. The growth and stature are God. That's what Paul is saying. It's God who gives it. And so it is with the resurrection of man. In this case, Paul uses the term body to reference a plant. And he seems to be talking about the whole thing. All of this is determined by God through various means. Paul says, as it has pleased him. As it has pleased him. It doesn't even seem to, it's not based on merit. It's not, I don't know what it's based on. He gives it according to how he wants to do it. And we got to trust in that as he chooses. And Paul adds to this, and to every seed, his own body. And remembering that this is a teaching on the resurrection of humans. And he says, to every seed, his own body. So apparently the seeds that are human on, on earth, will the bodies that are human on earth will get a correlated body in heaven. A, a dog seed will not get a, a cat body and a female seed will not get the resurrected body of an owl. He just seems to be saying every seed his own body type. Okay? Remember, Paul suggested some questions these ignorant men would ask are, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? And here he seems to be answering that second question. And with what body do they come? And he's going to focus, continue to focus on, and with what body do they come as he goes on? Having said unto every seed his own body, Paul now, in my opinion, begins to speak to the bodies of humans. He's going to start to narrow it down. He's given us some, some key factors, and now he's going to start talking about different categories or ways that the resurrected bodies will come. 
I don't think that he's speaking of species differentiation at this point. I think he's talking about the resurrection of men from this point forward. Now remember, he is teaching about that resurrection, and this is his point and purpose. And he draws from whatever he can to teach, using these concepts, the listener or the reader, what the res resurrection will be like. And so he begins again to describe the resurrection of man, and he says, verse 39, all flesh is not the same flesh. But there is one kind of flesh of men, there's another flesh of beasts, another flesh of fishes, another of birds. Again, I suggest that Paul is saying that just like there are many kinds of bodies on earth, different types, bodies for men and, and, and beasts and fish and birds, so is the resurrection. This harkens back to when he says to every seed his own kind. The birds will get the uh, resurrected bird bodies. The, the humans will get the resurrected uh, human bodies. And I think we just need to be cautious not to take his idea of flesh here and apply it literally. He's merely using flesh to point out that there will be varied resurrection types in the resurrection. And this fact will become more evident, especially when we get to verse 40. Verse 39, verse 39, he explains that earthly bodies are different and so will the bodies of the resurrected men be different, okay? And then he says, talking about resurrected men, there are also celestial bodies. There are also. So he says there are birds and fish and, and men and beasts. They have, there's, there's all different flesh. And he says there are also celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial. Celestial just means the heavenly bodies and terrestrial just means earthly bodies. So now he's going to separate the fact that there are bodies that are made to live here and there are bodies that are made to live in the heavens. All right? He does that and he, and he says the glory of the celestial is one and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There are different types of glories. When Jesus walked out of the grave, his body had not been completely glorified. He didn't have his heavenly body with him. He had to show his body that was put in the terrestrial grave and when he came back, he showed that body as John intimates. But he had that. We will not be that way. We will go directly from this being buried to having the heavenly body. Okay? So he's talking about the resurrection. And he says there are, is there are celestial bodies and there are terrestrial bodies. So in the resurrection, there's going to be different glories. There's a type of body that can abide down here in that glory. There's a type of body that abides up there. That's what he seems to be saying. Now, stepping back to Mormon rhetoric, we know that Joseph Smith took celestial and terrestrial, which just means heavenly and terra firma, earthly, and he threw in telestial, and he called them kingdoms, and he says, you're going to die. You're all going to get a resurrected body. It'll be just like this one, but glorified. And then you're going to enter one of those kingdoms. That's how he twisted that all up. But that's not what Paul is saying at all. All he's saying that is celestial refers to heavenly things. Terrestrial refers to terra firma things. And the bodies in those places have different glories. Okay? And he says the glory of the celestial is one. The glory of terrestrial is another. And there's a difference between those. So he says at verse 41, there is one glory of the sun. Now he's focusing completely in heaven. You notice, he said there's terrestrial, he says there's celestial, and he's just pointing now to what's all in heaven. And, and that's where the heavenly bodies, resurrected bodies will be. And he says, there's one glory of the sun, there's a glory of the moon, there's another glory of the stars, 
for one star differs from another star in glory. Do you know what he says next? So also is the resurrection of the dead. So he's taken us and he speciated it out. And then he said there's a terra firma body and there's a celestial body. He's broken that up. And then he's taken us totally into what the heavenly bodies will look like. And he says there's the glory of the sun, the moon, and the stars. They differ from one another in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. So now we know that we're going to have different glorified bodies in heaven in, resur in the resurrection. That there's going to be some who will have bodies that radiate like a star, some that radiate like a moon, some that radiate like a sun from our perspective of how the sun, moon, and stars radiate. Us now in our astronomy know that they're all pretty much the same. Well, I guess they are. But in any, in any case, he is making a comparison for them to understand. Thus far, we know, one, what you sow in the resurrection will not come to life unless this body dies first. Number two, that which is planted is not the body that you will get. That is clear. Number three, God will give you the body you will receive according to his good pleasure. Number four, every seed, God will give it its own specific body. Number five, just as there are types of flesh on the earth, there are types of flesh, not flesh, there are types of bodies in heaven. And th regarding those heavenly bodies, they all have different glories, depending on what glory God gives the body you have. In other words, they differ from each other in some sort of radiance. I don't know what that means in terms of capacity. I don't know what it means in terms of anything else. We just know what Paul says. This is not often addressed, my friends. And that there are resurrections among believers, among all people that are going to differ in glory. We don't hear about it from the pulpit. And it is to this fact that Paul wrote and he said, I hope to attain the resurrection. He, he himself is an apostle who had been saved and he believed in Jesus. He said, I hope I can attain the resurrection. He wasn't just talking about, he's saying, I'm hoping I can get a really good resurrected body bestowed upon me by God. That's why the, uh, uh, Hebrews 11 talks about uh, the women who sacrificed looking for a better resurrection, a better resurrection. Do you hear pastors teaching you that, that there is a better resurrection that you could get? that there are glories that await some in their bodies that God will give them that is different in glory from others? You don't hear it at all. And we don't know what it means. We don't know how it plays out. So supposition is, is a waste of time. Um, but uh, what we definitely can say, because Paul definitely says it, is that in the resurrection, bodies will differ uh, as much as terrestrial and celestial bodies differ as much as the, the bodies of the sun and the moon and the stars differ, those heavenly bodies given to us by God will also differ. So just to be clear, in verse 40, Paul says that there is a difference between these classes of bodies. And then he says, and so also is the resurrection of the dead. That is so dang clear. And this has been his topic from the start. Everything has been about the resurrection of the dead. 
the dead will be raised analogously to the things I have provided here, he seems to be saying. These are the analogies that you should see the resurrection as. In a way, a seed is sown, buried, dies, brings forth an altogether different plant. It differences, there's differences in the types of plants they are. There's differences in the glories that they have. So also is the resurrection of the dead. There's none of this BS of coming out of the tomb that you were buried in at that glorious day. I mean, they had that day and they came out with their heavenly bodies and ascended as his bride. So we've already learned more from the mouth of Paul and there's more better stuff even to come uh, in the coming week uh, that we never hear from the mouth of Christian preachers. I've, I've listened to Christian radio. I, I mean, I've, I've done enough of that. I've been around long enough. You don't hear it. Now, uh, what I hear Christians say is, I've been saved. I've been born again. I'm going to escape hell forever and ever. That's what they say. That's what they say. This is certainly good news. Fantastic. But it's limited news. It is truly myopic. It's truly focused on something that's just the starting block for what God clearly describes through his apostle here of what awaits those who are his. These bodies that he will bestow upon them. Uh, but uh, I've been convinced by scripture that hell has been beaten and that all are reconciled to God through the victory of his son's work. And I'm maligned for this. Well, I malign these Christians right back in your face for the failure of Christian pastors and teachers of introducing and teaching the biblical fact that there are eternal ramifications that are going to be bestowed on people with the resurrected body God will give them. That's clear as day that Paul teaches. Clear as day, you know? And uh, so just consider that. How come it's not taught when it's so clearly taught by him here? So after admitting that the resurrection is just like the examples he has given, Paul returns to the resurrection itself and delivers a series of short phrases to assist our understanding of it. And these little phrases will help, and I'm going to tell you what they are. He says, speaking of the resurrection, it is sown, that means buried, planted in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. We're going to end tonight with those short phrases and wrap it up. But let me ask you something. I have told people the resurrection is a spiritual body and they flip their lid. It's physical. Paul says it right there. Right there, there is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. It's clear as day. So first he says it's sown in corruption. The human body, like a seed, is planted and sown in death. It must die. It will rot. It will become dust. It will disappear in the intestines of worms and tigers and whatever else, right? But it's raised in absolute incorruption. Completely different world. Uh, it is sown in dishonor on account of sin and decay and disease and tattoos and scars and 
anything that comes to invade this body, it's sown in dishonor. But, set, but Paul says, it's, he doesn't say it's raised in honor. He says it's raised in doxa. It's raised in glory. Doxa is the where we get the doxology. It means it's praiseworthy. That body we will get is praiseworthy, is what he says. All right? He says it is sown in weakness. It's raised in dunamis. It's raised in power. I don't know what that means. I have no idea what it means to be raised in power, but all I know is that that word means that our bodies are feeble and weak, and, uh, but Paul says they will be raised in power. Remember what Paul says in Philippians 3.21, who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body according to the working whereby he is able to subdue all things to himself. That's power. He is willing to subdue everything to himself. And then at last, he says, it is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. What more do you need? You Catholics and Orthodox guys who say you shouldn't cremate. You Mormons who say every hair of your head will be restored to your perfect place and you'll come out of the grave. What do you want? He says it right there. There's a natural body that's corrupt and decaying. You bury that thing, it dies. And then the plant that comes forward that God bestows on you is the body that will abide in heaven. And it is raised in power and in glory. And it's a spiritual body. We'll hit on that amazing verse more as we launch into next week. We actually have a call. Brandon on line one. Brandon. Uh, no, you got Charlie here. <laughs> Charlie! <laughs> Hi, Sean. I, I swear, Charlie, it says line one, Brandon. <laughs> no, Charlie, West Valley. My wife ready? is snorting meth again. <laughs> That's all right. Hey, well, first of all, they, everybody can get all this, uh, you know, if they visit us on Sundays on meat and, milk and meat. Uh, Amen, brother. Yeah. You go verse by verse, but as you were as you were talking tonight, I was, I was thinking, you know, uh, Jesus when he was on the cross and he looked over and he said to the thief, you know, the thief said, "Take me with you." Jesus didn't say, "Well, in a few thousand years, I'll be back to get you." Yeah. Did he? Right. <laughs> he said, "The salary will be with me." So. If that isn't a resurrection, I don't know. That seems to me it makes sense that uh, he went with him that hour. I agree. <laughs> so, I love your show tonight. It's great. Uh, it's once again they don't teach it because they got to keep feeding us the medicine of the fear factor that if we don't do well enough, we won't be lifted up. Amen, brother. Love you, Charlie. Right. Love you too, man. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. I'm assuming Brandon's on two. Brandon? Brandon has a very high-pitched voice. No, we don't have a Brandon? See how loose we've become? We just have conversations here without... Well, you guys, listen, I just want to remind you of that one passage before we wrap it up. And next week, tune in. The second part is really important. And that passage is John, who saw the resurrected Lord come out of the grave. 
he says to his brethren, back down in the last epistles before, well, really close to the end of that age, we don't know what we're going to be like. But when we see him, then we will know what we'll be like because we will be like him. If we were going to be like what Jesus was when he came out of the grave, John would never have written that. He would have said, we know exactly what we're going to be like. We saw Jesus when he came out of the grave. That was the resurrected body. We're going to get to, we're going to be just like that. That's not what he says. Put this stuff together. Put your thinking caps on and become an insurrectionist. See you next week here on Heart of the Matter.